Number seven media production. <laughs> Welcome to the Biz Crush podcast series where I interview successful South African entrepreneurs and movers and shakers in order to extract practical advice on succeeding in business and life. I'm your host, Jacques Passant. And remember, if you prefer Afrikaans, check out Clipco's podcast series. The synthetic latex company, also known as SLC, plays a pivotal role in the South African chemical industry. Managing Director and Co-Owner, Quentin van Eierfer, an MBA graduate from the Northwest University's Business School, recounts how SLC originated in 1967 as a joint venture with Rivertex SA, which 50 years later culminated in a position from Carbochem Holdings. SLC produces latex polymers for the coatings, construction, paper and board and carpet and textile industries, and branched out into chemical distribution, integrated warehousing, industrial cleaning, toll manufacturing, bulk storage, and dust suppression. They also tapped into the co-working phenomenon by setting up work zone at SLC. While another initiative, the Shared Services Company, offers corporate services to entrepreneurs and SMEs. Quentin, welcome to the studio and thank you so much for your time. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Where, where did you grow up? Give us a snapshot of the journey for where it all started from where you're sitting today and uh, as uh, one of the co-owners of SLC in, in, in Sasselberg. Thank you, Jock. Um, so, yeah, where everything started, I was uh, born in Ladysmith in KwaZulu-Natal. I went to school there, primary school, high school. After high school, decided to go and study chemistry uh, at Kofsis. How did you, you always had a, 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 a love of chemical? Did you have one of those, those lab test sets, sets that I blew up stuff? <laughs> absolutely had a chemistry set. Um, and I actually um, had a bit of a violet pigment explosion in my room, which my mom was not impressed about. <laughs> what did you learn from that? <laughs> I learned about pressure in closed vessels. <laughs> In small glass vessels. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work well. <laughs> you need space if you're going to blow up stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So passion so, for chemistry, so that, yeah, that always, took you to... I always had a passion for science, so I've always been curious. Um, so I decided to go and study chemistry um, at Kofsis, as I said, and glad to be out of Ladysmith. Okay, this is great. Started my studies, had a bit of a rocky start. Why? Why is that? Uh, you know, just uh, again as a side note, was was is it was the content boring? Was it the, the, it was the bloody the, difficult? Was that was, was that the, the bottom line? The wobble, it was tough. the wobble I had was with calculus in my first year. It was difficult, so I failed it. So unfortunately, calculus is a prerequisite for for the second semester for chemistry and all the other physics and the other subjects. It was just more of a gatekeeper. Yeah, so it's like, okay, I can't do the rest because I, I failed uh, mathematics or calculus. Yes. So I had to come back uh, the following year to do the calculus. Uh, but the real passion was in the other subjects. So. Yeah, the real passion, I actually changed my, uh, my course slightly <laughs> to omit calculus <laughs> <laughs> in my second and third years to, and rather focus on chemistry, which I really wanted to do. Uh, and then microbiology was my second major. But yeah, after basically after completing my first year um, and doing the six months at, at Dunlop Tires, I did some holiday work there. They made me an offer to come and work there. 
and finished my studies part-time, which I did. It took a bit of a long, much longer time than I anticipated. So that got me started uh, at uh, Dunlop Tires. So while working at Dunlop Tires, incidentally back in Ladysmith where I didn't want to be. So the irony. Yeah. So then I was a pro. We were doing work for Carbochem, uh, who were a synthetic rubber manufacturer. And I was approached by them to, to see if I didn't want to apply for a position as a chemist or as a scientist in the Newcastle plant, which I then gladly accepted because uh, it was really what I wanted to do. I think. So that was more R&D stuff? Absolutely. That was proper R&D. And, and you actually, always, that's what you were looking for. Yeah, I think every chemist or every scientist, what do you want to do? You want to do R&D. But uh, in South Africa, there's actually very little of that. Why, so, why is that? I don't know. You know, a lot of it is, has been outsourced um, to the large corporates in the, in the U.S. or uh, Europe or Asia. So a lot of the skill in South Africa um, has gone missing. There isn't that uh, you know, core skill. Mm, that core just continuously develops. So especially lost. in the sciences. So you, you get the large uh, principles. They tell you this is how it's made and that's that. If you want to know something, call them. Mm-hmm. So you lose the deep technical skill. So, yes. so, so it's, just a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at the end of the yes, day. Just, absolutely. Just, so okay. it's, ter- it's terrible what's happening. It's, you know, it, it connects us all brain drain in South Africa. Mm. So it, there's none of that technical skill left anymore. Sure. So that was extremely exciting. I must say in the first couple of weeks, I didn't know what to do. Really? Because you, you have to, you have to play <laughs> and then think out stuff. Yeah. So I asked, uh, you know, after a couple of days, I, I phoned uh, my, my boss then, Dr. Stander. Uh, so what should I do? Do research. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Call him again. Okay, so what is that exactly? How do I do <laughs> <The> this? Define research. <laughs> <laughs> so it was weird because at Dunlop, we always had to stay busy and yeah. look busy. We With the research, we had to do physical research, read things up, experiment, design experiments. Uh, what, 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 what was that starting point for you? What, what was that, okay, I'm going to check this out. Is there anything that grabbed you at the time? Yeah, I think at that stage, uh, the research that we were doing were on um, uh, different polybutadiene rubbers and synthetic rubbers, they're also polyisoprene rubbers, uh, for specific property enhancements in tires. So again, it was so, it was so tires I, focused. That, yeah, it was, was tire focused uh, to a large extent. Also, some golf ball, but a lot of it tire focused. I just touch on that because uh, it was interesting. You mentioned to me earlier that that a lot of the the, the, the tire, the actual tire uh, uh, compounds, is what a golf ball is made of. Yeah, well, well to uh, an extent. Yes, to an extent. The the rubber used in a golf ball is a very particular polybutadiene rubber, um, which is very polymer backbone is very stereo specific mm. um, which gives you very good um, golf ball properties so yeah that is a i think a relatively little known use for synthetic rubber mm-hmm. and just tell me another thing and again I, I i i said i won't you know digress too much and i'm already starting but i want to touch on again a fascinating point of we're talking about tires and obviously so you were doing this research, but there's, you mentioned to me earlier that there's three important parts of a tyre that makes a tyre uh, uh, function well. And yes. uh, can, can you t- tell the, the, the listeners a bit more about, you know, those three components? And I'm taking that had an impact, your research had an impact on, on one or more of those, comp- 
uh, factors. Yes, I think the in the Thai industry it's, it's kind of generally known as the magic triangle, and the three components or the three three points of the triangle is rolling resistance. You want to reduce it. Uh, wear, you want to improve it, and weight grip, which you also want to improve. And the rolling resistance has impacts on fuel consumption. Yes, so that's low that's rolling resistance, uh, good fuel consumption. Um, and typically, if you improve the one, the other two gets worse. Or so hence, hence one, the magic triangle. It's like this evolving thing. So you're forever trying to optimize for these properties. So typically, as I explained to you also earlier, if you go and buy a tire, you can buy something with very good wear properties or very good weight grip. They're not, they're kind of necessarily not the same thing. Mm -hmm. You've got very good weight grip, then it weighs quickly. Um, If you've got uh, very good wear, it is slippery (laughs) in the weight, (laughs) typically. Yes, yes. So, so what's, so coming back to your research, so which one of those did it it impact? Or was it a combination of the three? As a combination, I I think I I did the, quite a bit of work on there was a polymer that uh, that Johan and his team or Dr. Stander and his team developed which is a, a 3-4 polyisoprene um, which gives you very good wet grip properties so it's got a very particular glass transition profile um, so I did quite a bit of work on how to incorporate that into a tire um, into a tread compound in particular to not detrimentally impact the other two properties, the the wear and the rolling resistance. So yeah, that was uh, a lot of the time that I spent was on that. I can also various support to some other rubber industries as well. So that was very interesting. So that that was so so that was the start of this uh, wonderful adventure that was to follow with with Carbochem, and and that took you to to Sasselberg eventually. Yes. Yeah, so after a couple of years in, in research in Newcastle, I started finding the plants very interesting and how we can optimize the plants and it kind of naturally progressed to a point where they had a requirement for a technical manager and they plant in Sasselberg. Um, Dr. Standard asked me if I wanted to go there. I said, no. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> he, he kind of insisted and that is how I ended up in Sasselberg. Time for a did you know insert Sasselberg is a large industrial hub in the far north of the Free State the metropolis was established in the mid 1950s to provide housing and other facilities for Sassel 1 a pilot plant to refine oil from coal due to a lack of petroleum reserves in South Africa political developments of the late 1960s and early 1970s in particular the trade embargoes against the apartheid regime made the operation of the pilot plant a priority to the then government. This was followed by the establishment of Sassel II and Sassel III in Secunda in the 1970s. So you started this new role at Carbochem, research and development, very excited. Give us, give us some background on Carbochem. Where, where does this company originate from? What, what's the background? Carbochem was established in the 60s uh, as an initiative from the, the government of the time. Um, because there was no imports or possible for synthetic rubber. Just because of sanctions Because of time. sanctions and, and all those type of things. Um, so they established this company as a joint venture between the government and the tire manufacturers uh, to start manufacturing their own rubber. And this was in Sasselberg um, due to the close proximity to Sassel and the raw materials that could be supplied out of Sassel. 
Okay, so then in in the later years, it was then incorporated into Centrochem, which was a group of chemical companies, uh, a relatively large group of chemical companies in South Africa. And they were all in, based in Sassel? Berkeley. Well, all the companies were not based in Sassel. Uh, the, res- the main research facility was in Sassel, Sasselberg, um, but uh, the companies were scattered all over the country. So I think there were something like 10 or 11 companies in the, in the central, central chem group at that yeah. stage. So then in 1997, uh, uh, I think it was around then, um, Central Chem was um, taken over by Dow or many of the, the, the group companies were, were bought by Dow Chemicals, which is a U.S. company. They, you mentioned they're the second largest in the world. At that stage. At that they, stage. At that stage, they were the second largest okay. chemical company in, in the, the world. world. So the Americans came in and, and the acquired. The Americans came in and they acquired it. some of the components that they that they that was part of the deal. They were not even fully aware of. Carbochem was one of them, and they actually wanted, to, as we understand, a particular um, business in South Africa, which then happened to fall into the group of companies, which is the agri science business. So then, soon after, in two thousand and three, they just decided to sell off the components that they were not interested in. And Carbochem, the rubber, the rubber part of the business, was part of that. So again, just uh, touching on the the agri side. So the agri side that that was the main thing they were interested in. But I mean, that was that's in essence was um, uh, pesticide. Is that is yes, that right? Yes, pesticide. Yeah. Well, yeah, the parts the parts that were especially on on our plant or on the Sasselberg plant it was a pesticide precursor. Okay, that was made by Dow Agri Science. So they started selling off these bits and pieces. They started selling off the bits and pieces. Now part of the bits and pieces was carbochem rubber. Then on the same site was SLC mm-hmm. as well as Orchem, which manufactured at that stage uh, rubber curatives and accelerants and, and those type of chemicals. The management of time then bought these, these three companies from Dow and started running them under um, a group called Carbochem Holdings. At that stage, SLC was still a joint venture also between Revertex, which is a, a Durban-based company manufacturing acrylic lattices, uh, and Carbochem Holdings. And then in 2005, Carbochem Holdings bought out the share from Revertex. Um, SLC was then wholly owned by Carbochem Holdings. And they were still keen to, I mean, at that stage, did they sell off the other bits and pieces? When, when that happened, so they, what was left was SLC and 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 still the agri bit or no what? SLC SLC was then part of the Carbochem Holdings Group that was part of the so it wasn't left over in Dow. Got it. It was already sold off. It Sorry, was you were sold saying off. it was already sold together off. Together so, with so rubber, together with Orkem, SLC was sold off. Got it. So it all became part of the of the one group, which is called Carbochem Holdings, which also obviously then had the plant still in Newcastle. So at that stage, SLC was really tiny, and actually, I still remember when I when I arrived on site in 2005, I was told by the then technical manager that SLC is I don't have to worry about it too much because it's going to close down soon. There's nothing much going on there. Wow, famous famous last words. Famous last words. <laughs> and then, um, basically, then over the following years, uh, I became more deeply involved in SLC. 
Uh, and then what, after why, the, why is that? that were, were you intrigued by this challenge, yeah, this, this, this stepchild? I, I think the thing that happened was the, the buyout of the shares of Revertix, uh, then leaving Carbacam Holdings with SLC being wholly owned, and basically what do we do with it? Mm. What do we do with the pots and pans? Um, and you had that opportunity to focus. We had that opportunity to focus. I was part of that whole discussion, the early strategic discussions around Okay, we've got uh, all this equipment. We've got kind of still a market which is diminishing, which is a styrene butadiene latex market, which is was declining. So we were probably running at about twenty to thirty percent of capacity at that, st- that stage. Then we we said, okay, what do we do with this? Let's let's think about it a little bit. So we had two two basic things that we had to decide: do we want to buy in technology? to make other types of latencies, or do we want to develop it ourselves? Went into the market um, and tried to find technology to buy, which we which we kind of got hold of. Uh, it didn't really fly. Then we decided, now let's try and develop it ourselves. Uh, the acrylic technology, which we at that stage didn't have. So we had to develop that literally from, from research read-up, so from absolute scratch. And the acrylic again, we've touched on it, it's paint. It's yeah, acrylic. Uh, it it's acrylic. Yeah, so you, you, you explained earlier, it's the glue that keeps the, the paint on, on, on the wall. I love that, that example. Okay. Absolutely. So we thought, okay, we're all smart. That sounds pretty simple. Let's do this thing. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> so it took us several years and, and lots of heartache to, to eventually get a product to market. Unfortunately, at that stage, we were not. We were known in the market as latex manufacturers. Everybody body kind of uh, associated latex with styrene butadiene. So when we started manufacturing acrylics, it was weird, and the people didn't want to buy from us. Were, were, they, were they concerned that it was a substandard they were, product? They were absolutely concerned. Um, they were concerned that we're trying to sell uh, SPR latex to them. They were concerned that there is SPR in the acrylic latex, which is not suitable for paint. So lots of things. And obviously we were a zero market share player in the coatings market. Um, so that took a lot of effort to, in the first place, get a product that's actually workable and effective. A lot of iterations there. And then also then secondly to convince the market that this product actually works as well or better uh, than the rest. Where, where was your breakthrough? Who was that first customer that, that took the leap or... I can't remember who was the first customer exactly. Uh, was one, that also the turning point? I think when you had that first that first customer, was it easier to start selling from no, there? No, it wasn't. No, still not. No, still not. Uh, you know, I think initially we started with the really tiny companies. And what did you go in in price? What 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 was your differentiator? Your price. So, I mean, that's the only like, thing we, that we could, cheaper. Yeah. The, the odd thing there is it was difficult to go in on price because we had absolutely no relationship with the monomer suppliers. So we we couldn't buy monomer cheap enough, mm. so we couldn't offer actually a cheap product. <laughs> so <laughs> it was incredibly difficult. Yes, yes. So in the first years, I would say when we actually made the breakthrough was when we decided to really go in hard on price and sell it at cost, basically, just okay. to get people to try it. Yes. Undercut some of the rest in the market. doesn't make any business sense whatsoever. Um, but just to get the toe into the into the door, which yes. worked. Yes, yes. Then slowly it's, uh, it started to build up a little bit of momentum. People started knowing about the product. 
um, they worked well and then it kind of built up. So I wouldn't say there was one particular breakthrough customer that played that, a role. So it kind of just built slowly from the smaller customers to the larger ones to where we now supply quite large customers. So the irony, of course, now you, you take this little baby, uh, hard work, research. Obviously, I can imagine you uh, you excited about you know the 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 R and D component and all the rest, the business development, and this baby starts walking, and then you get the the news. Everything around you <laughs> wants to leave. <laughs> yes, yeah. I think I think what basically happened, and 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 like we touched on earlier, I became more and more involved with the SLC. It became my baby. It, I was really passionate about it, uh, and then the. The, the Carbacam owners decided that they that they are now wanting to to retire and they don't want to be that much involved in any of these businesses. Did you find that very un... un what's the word? Unsettling. Unfair. Oh, unfair. <laughs> at, 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 at the time. I mean, all this hard work, um, you just, you know, you're out of the the dip, so to speak, of growing this this business and, and these guys want to want to pull out. How did you feel at that stage? I think because, and, and, I, and I think it was great from them, I really appreciate it, is that they didn't want to sell it to anyone else, so they offered it to us, to management, okay. or to me in particular, uh, because I've always expressed an interest in wanting to, to form a larger part of the business, getting a bit of ownership, um, because I'm really passionate about it. So this was your this was actually, perfect scenario, this was everything perfect. coming together. So, do you want to buy it? Hell yes, I don't know how, but yes. Yes. So let's say yes, and then we'll figure out how. So, so, so tell us about that. So fantastic opportunity, this dream come true in many ways. Yes. The perfect storm in a good sense. What happened next? Yeah, okay, so then obviously it's very exciting. First couple of nights, it's it's great. You're very excited. <laughs> then starts the hard work. How do you actually do this? How do you uh, buy a You get a few million, Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's not that simple. You don't have it in your bank account currently. <laughs> <laughs> so you need to make some plans. So so firstly, we had to negotiate the price. What is the value of the business? How do you value the business? Uh, negotiate about that. It, it was a, a bit of a... A shock where we ended up and where actually my mind was in terms of what uh, what I was prepared to buy, to pay for the company. So that was, was it, a bit I of mean, a who at that stage was it? Your accountants versus their accountants? I mean, I didn't uh, have accountants. So uh, it, it's, it's like willing buyer, willing seller, right? It's just yeah, willing buyer, <laughs> yeah, willing buyer, willing seller, yeah, exactly like that. So they they obviously were much more experienced the, the current owners i mean uh, they were very experienced and this are real corporate um, people so i had no experience so i also learned from that a lot how how to value a company how where, how do you arrive at the price mm. at the selling price mm. that was an extreme eye-opener and then i obviously had to uh, get help from people who actually knew how these things work a specialist in in mergers and acquisitions Real proper serious accounting people, not cigarette box <laughs> bookkeepers like yeah. me. Um, so then we started with a negotiation. Eventually, we ended up on a price where we were all kind of comfortable. Did you at least at the time did you get it under market value? So that was there a no. If you had to, no. 
<laughs> I don't think so. No, it, that would have made a great story, but no, but I think it was a fair price. Yeah, okay. I think it was a fair price, yeah. so it's not. I didn't get a bargain or yes, anything yes. like that. I think, but I did see the opportunity. I saw more, mm. and I think always the discussion I had with him was, I think it can work. I see more, so yes, okay, we, we're willing to pay this price. Yes, but then to get the money was a hell of a mission. So approach all the banks. Um, trying to get funding, the major banks or not keen on funding these type of things without enormous deposits. What was the typical deposit? 40%. Ah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, so pff, that's crazy. I mean, that kind of kills it off the bat. <laughs> so it's very difficult. So eventually through a friend of mine um, who knew someone in the, in, in the financing business, actually in um, mezzanine financing, um, he referred me to uh, to Investec, or back then it was called Reichmann's Capital, um, who was very also doing uh, mezzanine financing or specialized finance financing, more and more bridging finance, bridging financing okay. exactly. So <laughs> we then went to go and see them and made a bit of a pitch, and uh, I must say the the accountant or the the merger, merger and acquisition guy that I used helped a hell of a lot to to then pitch it to them and to actually sell it. I mean, that's a whole selling game. You must yeah. sell it to these guys. Yes, yes. Then I still came short, so I had to scrounge around for more money because now I've got most of it covered, some of it financed through the business itself, mm. some of it through this financing company or through Reichmann's part of Investec. And I was still short, so I had to go and look for private investors. Were, were you excited at the time that that you had that initial um, thumbs up from from the bank, or was it even uh, you know almost demotivating that okay, I thought I was I was this was it, and now they're saying no, you're halfway there. So it's almost yes. like you uh, there's a lot to lose now, lot to win still, lot to gain, but a lot, even more to lose now. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it is extremely exciting when they say, yeah, okay, we think we can do this. You know, when you when you think you're there, you're not even halfway. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. It. So, so it is, it's kind of, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm. I need I need more. So it is a really that part was re- really hectic. Yes. Um, because now you also have time pressure. There's all sorts of clauses in the. You've now signed this uh, purchase agreement. It's a, it's or, a, it's or sales a, the, agreement. the clock has started. There's a deadline. That you, you know, you need to get the financing by a certain time. It's a race against time. Mm. Mm. So eventually, um, I managed to secure two more investors who supplied me with some capital. It's, it's important because obviously I, I, I know the background story, but for, for the listeners, I mean, this is also a lesson in networking and close relationships because th- this wasn't just two oaks saying, hey, this is great, let's, let's throw money at it. This, this was very much relationship-driven. Yes, the, um, the one shareholder, uh, Dr. Brink, is actually a co-shareholder still of Carbacam Holdings, who we were buying from, so that obviously complicated matters. He couldn't be involved in the purchase, except by um, giving some capital. So he was not even part of the negotiations. Mm. Um, but he obviously saw the opportunity and believed in your, in your capabilities, because yes. ultimately they, they, weren't giving, they, were giving, they were investing in you, ultimately. Yeah, they say so. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that was then one part. So that was half of the rest that I needed. So I needed the other half. <laughs> so how um, long was this 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 time period? At the, so so from where you 
had the option to buy where the bank said yay, and then second, first shareholder, third shareholder. What, how long did that take? About a year. Okay. Um, so, yeah, then the, the second sh- uh, shareholder was uh, someone that I also built up a relationship over the, over the preceding years, uh, which is an Egyptian, uh, Ala Ragab. Um, they, they've got lots of companies in, in Egypt as a family with lots of businesses there. And our relationship started by um, them wanting to buy latex from us for the carpet market in Egypt. Um, initially, it didn't go very smoothly. We then settled on selling latices uh, that's used in the, in the construction industry, like bonding liquid. And I think it then deepened when there was a plant in Egypt that started manufacturing butadiene as a, as a side product, which is one of our main monomers, also Carbochems. And he you, asked you, if we started, can use it. started buying it. So in. we started buying it in. So you had a wonderful uh, yes. relationship from buying and selling from from one another. Yes. So uh, and then just through that we can be, we became friends. I mean, we, I visited there a couple of times and we actually became close friends and still are. And he then said, "Okay, he'll he'll help out. Um, he will also buy a share. He put in some capital, and then eventually I had enough money to um, to clinch the whole thing." And 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 what what's what's again so important about your story is like and again you know it, it's the smart capital it's you've got two uh, shareholders that that understand the industry you've got it's there's that it's the mastermind you've got your peers you've got your mentors and and now you you know that's where your decision making and of course we'll talk about your exco in SLCA as well so again it's it's you've got this wonderful support network. No, absolutely. I think these two shareholders, and I think it uh, because it's it's a quite a lonely exercise. So I think they were very supportive, and they are amazing mentors because they have a wealth between the two of them, a wealth of experience in industry. Uh, Dr. Brunk in the South African chemical chemical industry, um, an icon. Mm. He was chairman of the International Synthetic Rubber Producers, um, which is yeah, that's no small feat. A, a worldwide group. And uh, this very powerful Egyptian guy that happened to be my friend. Mm. So he was an excellent mentor as well, uh, guiding along the way, encouraging. So one needs that because, you know, it becomes such a grind. You get very easily, you get to a point where you feel extremely dejected and feeling that it's it's not going to work. I've been there a hundred times in that year. This is not going to work. This is failing. I can't get this. I can't get that. So that's quite dense. <laughs> it's 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 a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster, but I I think yeah, I think it can be done. Mm-hmm. So, but it just needs to. It needs hard work and diligence and yes. not giving up. So, so I think that's that's that's, that's and I know that that was. It's been always your core message. You know, listening to the story is that don't give up, but it's also belief. It's it's faith yeah. that you can. This thing can work to see it through. But I mean, well, if you don't believe. It's doable. Yes. <laughs> There's no way in hell anybody yeah. else is going to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. So now, obviously, great success story. Uh, congratulations, uh, uh, Quentin. You own, you know, a third of a of a um, of a big boy. And uh, then the real surprises started. <laughs> yeah. So basically, basically, what happened Un- then? Pleasant and unpleasant, or <laughs> Yeah. So it was uh, at that stage we were part of the. Um, we were still on the on the Carbocam site. So it was actually very cushy. So we've got this uh, little business running. Uh, all the 
utilities and services, um, all the shared services were, were given by Carbacam. Uh, we purchased monomers together because the same monomers used in in rubber and 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 in latex. So I just want to interject. Sorry to interrupt you. So just to emphasise that uh, again, you you were the small business that were uh, capitalising on a big business's buying power. Yes, and you just you could just take a little bit. What you know, you pay, pay as you yes. go almost. And I mean that's a hell of a, a benefit. Yeah, Butadiene is a good example. They import three thousand tons a month. We use a hundred tons, and you get the same price as three thousand. We 000. get the same price. I mean, that is <laughs> it's beautiful, amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. Same with the other monomers. So that was ideal, but but. <laughs> so in in November 2017, this this all happened. End of November. In the beginning of the following year, uh, Carbacam Rubber decided that they are going to stop manufacturing, which was a massive setback for us because now obviously we had to we had no relationships with the monomer suppliers. We had to rebuild those relationships. There was a lot of turmoil at that stage, getting all our monomers in. Without Obviously not, not, and not at the same price even. Not at the same price. Well, yes, not at the same price. We were extremely fortunate that we had the supply chain via Egypt for our butadiene through the relationship with, uh, with uh, Mr. Ragab. If not for that, that part would have really so fell, would, fell we flat would, on its sitting, face. It, chatting here. No, for sure. So we had all those challenges and still, well, at that stage, fortunately, Carbacam still kept some people there. So even though they stopped manufacturing, we had all the issues with the, with the monomer supply. We still had a contract whereby um, they would store the monomers for us and, and, and manage it on our behalf still. And also the other ancillary services like, uh, you know, the the HRs and QC lab, we didn't have our own QC finance, even we didn't have our own financing department, we had one accountant. Mm. So all that was done by Carbacam. So we also had an agreement with them that they will continue with this on our behalf and we pay them a monthly fee. Great, okay, so that's kind of okay. And then through the course of the year, that also started to to fall apart a little bit and we had to start doing some of the services on our own. I think there was a list of about 18 services. I mean, we had massive agreements. Sure. We had massive supply agreements, um, service agreements, rental agreements, because obviously we leased space on the Carbacam site. It wasn't our property. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we started unbundling all these things, and then... At some stage, it also got to a point where Carbacam said, well, without these services, I also can't operate on, this, on the site anymore. And they decided they can also stop that, which then caused a massive concern for us because obviously we needed the site. We couldn't just pick it up and put it somewhere else. We needed the utilities, but we now like a extremely small plant on a massive site. So we said, well... The only way we can protect this is let's make an offer to purchase the site. This is 150 hectares. This is 150 hectares, yeah, 20 of which is under plant, chemical plant. Um, and you were 5,000 square meters. You were about uh, <laughs> half a hectare. Yes. Half so hectare. just to put it in perspective, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is hectic. And it's also, it's, it's, even though we knew the site, we were never involved with the utility distribution, management of it, the maintenance of the site, the legislative things, the licensing, the, 
because there's all sorts of environmental legislation and things that we have to comply with mm. being where we are. We had to get contracts with the utility suppliers again, have all those things changed. That was extremely hectic. So we agreed on a price, we purchased a site, and then had to get all these things in place. So through all this, um, we still had one other fun thing that happened. We we decided that we're going to be noble during a, a part of uh, the commodity cycle where the prices increased sharply. We decided we're going to support our customers a little bit and not pass all the increases. That was a horrible mistake, sure. and it almost killed us cash flow-wise, as well as profitability, so we made a loss. And when you're in year one of a new acquisition, you do not want to make a loss or have cash cash flow issues. It is a killer. So, yeah. And, and so, I think so a lot of, lot of, so you've had this effectively overhead challenge. It's going from almost no overheads to suddenly having to go not only find these 18, you know, it's, it's replacing them, obviously at a higher price, no price increases. How did you feel at that stage? I mean, was it, did, did, were you, were, were the moments of regret? It's like, what the hell? You know, this, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. This is not was something that one... This is a crap dream. What was this about? Yeah. This, is, this is not something that one tells everybody. Yeah. But it's just like the fox terrier chasing the bus. It's like, yeah, I've got it now. Oh, my word. It's running me over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to kill me. No, it's terrible. So I, I, I think it is... Uh, one goes through really deep waters thinking because also you've now got a lot of people that are that are supported by this business mm. and you obviously don't want to let them down and you've got you know the carbocam guys leaving around them everybody is tense how many people lost their jobs when when carbocam pulled out well on our site i would say around 150 to 170 and across the two sites probably more in the region of 250 <sighs> This was serious. That's without, I mean, this is, this without is, contractors, yeah. yeah. That's that's nasty. So it, it leaves this negative energy in the, in the yes, air. Yes, absolutely. It was it was very negative at that stage. And everybody was scared. Because it was always the, the ruling thought was SLC con, can't survive without Garbakim. Mm-hmm. So that was... Uh, but you felt it could? I, yeah, I've, I've, I felt it could. Um, my cigarette box calculations. <laughs> you can probably do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, we always say everybody's a millionaire on a spreadsheet, right? Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, so, but yeah, the, then we just said, yeah, we have to make this work. So, we just have to. So we must. So you decided to, and, and that's when you decided to make the offer. So it's not that they, they yes. offered to to to, to no. purchase. You said we'll we'll buy. No, actually, initially they didn't want to sell. Okay. The the site they didn't want to sell initially to to us. So yeah, that was also a bit of a negotiation exercise what was that tipping point why did they end up selling well obviously they couldn't really operate there anymore i think they wanted to sell to someone else maybe or some of them wanted to uh, but it's not an easy thing to sell it's, it's just it sounds easier from outside nice but it's like selling the car without the petrol or without yes. a tire or it sounds nice to me chemical plant or what do you do with it so yes it, so you need it, to know how to so operate much, this thing yes you can't sell it to to pit pompies down the mm, road. I mm. mean, he doesn't know what to do with yes, it. So yes. you, you've got very few people that can actually purchase a site like that. So a lot of the value in a, in a site, in, in my view, is who can you sell it to? Mm. So if you only have one... Yeah, it one doesn't matter two, how successful you are. It's like a Formula One team. 
I mean, it's like, well, number one, as we were always talking about, it's can you carry the overheads? Yeah. And number two, can you drive the car? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's not it's not so easy. And I think people did look at it and say, oh, no, this doesn't look interesting. Mm. <laughs> so, but we had to do it. I mean, it is not something that we wanted to do. Maybe we would have at that stage preferred definitely not to. But for self-preservation, we had to do it. Yes, yes. And we had to make a plan to, to make it work for, also for SLC. So you offered them a rand and <laughs> not not quite. <laughs> we'll take over the overhead. Just here's a rand. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, those things sounds very nice. I, I've heard about those things, but it didn't happen in our case. It's not quite like that. <laughs> so that so that was the final obstacle. Was but I mean, well, I say that it, it, the, the obstacle it was a, the obstacle created additional opportunities, and and and, and let's let's uh, obviously that. It's a good opportunity now to give us a snapshot of SLC today. Yes. Uh, what what transpired from that, and then of course what what does the future look like? Okay. Yeah, I think I think firstly it it created further obstacles first. <laughs> <laughs> so we're sitting with a site. Um, uh, we have to generate income to actually. Yeah, you've got these overheads now. We've got so these you know. overheads. We need to cover the overheads with uh, with income that we need to generate from somewhere. Otherwise, we can have to fund it out of our primary business, mm. which was not really feasible. So we had to decide how do we fund the overheads of this massive site. Mm. So we then decided to see what are the different things that we can do with the site. Can we offer warehousing? Can we do um, store, a chemical storage for people? What, was was this brainstorming with your exco? Where did this? Uh, what did this look like? Was it whiteboard? Okay, uh, let's set red wine. Okay, now let's let's start. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> that sounds very glamorous. It's very Hollywood, it's, right? It's so very Hollywood. It normally doesn't look like that. It's more like, oh bugger, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> <How> do <laughs> we're we in trouble. We're trouble. So let's make a list of all the things that we have and what can we do with them. So, and I think the the bad thing, not the bad thing, but the thing that happens is. At first, you're excited. Oh, yeah, we're going to rent out warehouse space. We're going to rent out the tanks and this and that and the other. But at each of these things, you're like, okay, let's rent out the tanks. Okay, it doesn't comply to this, that, and the other. Okay, we first need to do work. Mm-hmm. Then this and that is not right. We do need to do further projects or further work, which costs money. So this, it, it wasn't – it was a hell of a lot of work to yeah. – uh, and still is to, to get to that point where we can actually generate a bit of income out of it. So, 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 tell us a bit. Give us a breakdown of, of what what are those additional services uh, look like at the moment? Yeah. So for for SLC itself, uh, besides the latex manufacturer, we do solvent packaging, toll packaging for solvents and hazardous chemicals. We've got a dedicated uh, hazardous chemical packaging plant, which is totally uh, uh, closed loop, um, zero emission type of packaging plant. And, and and you explained to me obviously the benefits and again as an outsider it's it's again you have you can take uh, the big boys only deliver yes. truckloads and you can take the truckload but then you can repackage into smaller uh, uh, sizes for for customers so they don't they because they don't have a place to receive yes exactly thousands of tons of, of whatever yeah also of of different solvents I mean we probably package fifteen to twenty different solvents so people don't typically have storage for for these type mm-hmm. of things so they use it in package form um, so there's that there's the warehousing that we do for people 
um, some of the companies in in and around the Fall Triangle we do some warehousing, we do the bulk liquid storage, we do office rentals. So we've got a co-working space that we that we started there in some of the unoccupied office office space. Because that was the old admin building. I mean, that it's was a beautiful, old, 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 beautiful big building. Yes, very seventies. Very seventies, but very well equipped. Mm. It's, it's always on high speed internet, so it's it's nice. Time for a did you know insert. Co-working is a worldwide phenomenon that sees workers of different companies share an office space, allowing cost savings and convenience through the use of common infrastructures, such as equipment, utilities, uh, receptionists, and security services. It is attractive to freelancers and independent professionals looking for flexibility, and it avoids wasted real estate space. In addition, co-working helps workers to shun a sense of isolation that they may experience while telecommuting, traveling, or working at home alone, and to eliminate distractions. So yeah, we, we started that. And then now we're starting to look at some of the other equipment and things that we have. Um, we, earlier we talked about the possibility of doing some oil extraction out of seeds. So we're looking at that with some of the equipment that was used for rubber manufacturers, mm. incidentally suitable uh, for this process. So and is, uh, these are things that all came out of this brainstorming that you had. So this is what we have and this is what we could do potentially. Yeah, you, you, you pick up thoughts here and there um, from different fronts. It doesn't all come from a brainstorming session. Mm. So someone talks to you and you're like, Just oh, yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe maybe we can use this equipment to do that. Yes. And then it does or not. Um, so it's from all over. But yeah, you have to... You have to sit and think, how do we fit all these things together? Then also we've got a couple of other companies also supporting SLC. At this stage, we've got uh, Simultech that does industrial cleaning, mainly uh, IBCs, intermediate bulk containers and and drums, uh, which we do clean with high-pressure water jetting. Um, Then we've got the shared services company um, that does our payroll and uh, some accounting for outside companies. Um, so, well in essence, with the shared services is what Carbochem did for you guys. Now you're offering that exactly. to, to other businesses. Yeah, I think the idea there is, or, or not, yeah, well, it's the idea. SLC is too small, let's say, for example, for payroll, to have our own dedicated payroll department. We've only got a couple of people on our payroll. So, um, other companies have the same issue. Mm. So, to scratch our own itch, we have... Uh, in shared services, we've got people doing payroll for SLC as well as for other mm-hmm. companies and also accounting and various administrative services. Yes. Yes. Then we've got Valor Chemicals, which is a chemical trading company, which is also something that we see is necessary in our industry. It kind of supports um, our core products into coatings or uh, some other industries. Mm-hmm. That's again with the commodity trading uh, side of things. Yeah, obviously. again the commodity trading. You know, there's a lot of trading going on in South Africa. It's actually a sad thing, but um, it's getting more and more traded, our economy, and less and less manufactured. So we still have a massive passion for manufacturing, doing the stuff ourselves. Mm-hmm. But it's becoming more and more difficult um, to do in South Africa. Mm. So we, we decided to to have a, a leg the dust trading Especially in the things that are not manufactured locally. So yes, um, that also supports our business. We all know that 
to be successful in business, it's never one person, uh, and a strong team is is very important. Was that the case for you guys? Yes, Jock. I think that is incredibly important. I think, um, especially in the scenario we had with the um, with the acquisition, uh, it puts you in a position where you where you're so busy with uh, all the aspects, uh, all the administration around. Um, the acquisition that you lose focus on uh, the primary business. So um, then it's particularly important to have a very strong team. Um, and I think I was uh, very fortunate, or I am very fortunate to have a, a marvelous executive committee that uh, supported me through everything and still does. And they were able to run the business uh, with me being absent, busy with all these other things, uh, also the rest of the team, our management team, and, and all the all the guys working uh, at SLC played an immense part in making it successful. So I think it is incredibly important to have the right people, uh, but also have the right people in the right positions. That is incredibly important. And then you've got, I think, last but not least, which is the 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 the, the feel good. Uh, a, a product and, and, and offering Yes, our friend Pottle Fix Pottle Fix <laughs> so I've told you this before But everybody thinks SLC makes only Pottle Fix <laughs> <laughs> So that you, you, you're a, you're, that's the uh, What's the word? You're a, you're a victim of, of your success story yeah. there Or, or your, your good work Yeah, I actually think what happens there is um, A normal consumer doesn't know What the chemical company does but when they make something that they can relate to, like bottle fix, they're like, oh, yes, this makes sense. Yes. So then it becomes everything that you are. So bottle fix is actually an initiative uh, born from the frustration from bottles in and around the vault triangle. So we kind of develop this product or put it together that uses um, some of our waste materials as well as some of Sassel's waste materials. Ours normally went to landfill. Um, and cost us money, so we decided to rather convert it into something useful. Um, and instead of just giving it away for free to uh, to get the bottles fixed, which was actually part of the initial plan, we decided to to sell it to get a little bit of income from it, which all of it we then um, donate to charity, various charities. So not just the profits, but the whole revenue is donated to to charity. Um, so yeah, we, we're just trying to give back a little bit. I think we've been very fortunate um, in our whole journey. And yeah, we can give back to the community, especially the Vault Triangle. We want to support the Vault Triangle. We want to support industry in the Vault Triangle. We want to support people in the Vault Triangle as much as we possibly can. And I think this, 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 uh, well, this pilot podcast, episode is testimony to that again just pushing the boundaries uh, new and and of course adding value just continuously adding value out there and getting the word out so uh, congratulations quentin it's, it's it's truly an inspiring story and i and i've, I've been privileged to to meet uh, your exco team and it's it's really a family feel to it so uh, well done and and uh, i really look forward to to seeing uh, you know the uh, what you guys are up to in in, in the future and the impact you're going to have Yes, thank you. No, thank you for the for the talk. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review, and follow us on social media at Biz 
B-I-Z-Crush 